0: for your goodness, thank you for your love, thank you for the way you're working in our lives, thank you for the way that you're growing us, you're maturing us, you're giving us understanding and wisdom, how to navigate the challenges of life. So I pray this morning for two things, number one, open up our hearts that we might learn spiritual things that last forever, and number two, give us the wisdom we need for this day and encourage us, in Jesus' name, amen. In this series, we're talking about what Jesus said in John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. The word means pressure. Everybody in the house today knows what it is to live under pressure in different times and seasons and situations of life. Jesus said it's normal, but he also said, be of good cheer. Literally, he said, take courage. I've overcome the world. What he's saying is, I will give you the victory that I Have gained. I will share it with you. You, too, can overcome the challenges, the pressures of life. And I believe as you study Scripture, you find that there are different kinds of trials. People say, well, I'm going through a trial. What kind of trial? Have you ever had anybody ask you that? What kind of trial? See, I think we need to start asking people when they say, well, I'm really going through a trial. What kind of trial? Because if you can identify the kind of trial you're going through then you can learn from Scripture what to do in that particular trial. And that's what we're doing in this series, teaching how do I deal with the various trials of life. Last week, I shared with you an introduction to the series, and I shared seven thoughts. And I'm going to just list them real quickly because I think they're important for us to remember these things today. Number one, trials are temporary. Literally, Scripture says that in the big scheme of things, literally, trials are puny. They're temporary. Number two, trials create heaviness. It's a reason why they're called pressure. They put a weight upon us, a, a mental weight, an emotional weight, and they play with our emotions sometimes. Number three, we have to learn to approach trials with joy, not happiness, but joy. We need to learn to approach trials with joy, not distress. Number four, we should approach trials with patience, not agitation. Because they are temporary, because we know we go in one end and out the other, we need to be patient in the process because it's not about the clock. It's not about the time. It's about the process. So you keep moving through the situation. Approach it with patience, not agitation. Number five, trials are a test. And it's my faith that is on trial. I appreciate what they put in the video, the introduction video. talks about what, what James and what 1 Peter say about trials. When you go through a trial, it's your faith that's on trial. What do you believe and what are you willing to live by even in the face of challenges? Number six, trials demand wisdom. You need to be smart. You need to be wise when you're going through trials. God said if you don't have wisdom, ask and I'll give it to you. But you've got to ask in faith. Be willing to act on the wisdom that I give you so we're giving you that wisdom and then number seven the last thing we shared last week God will not abandon us in times of trial one of the best promises Jesus gave us he said I will never leave you I'll never forsake you I'm with you always to the end of this age until this age is over and we step into that place where our faith becomes side in eternity Jesus said I am with you always what a great promise Now, today I want to to talk about the trial of discouragement. The trial of discouragement. And there are several trials I want to talk about the next few weeks. But I felt so strongly this week that I needed to talk about discouragement today. Because everybody, from time to time, faces situations that can bring discouragement our way. So, let's start in Joshua chapter 1. And and I want to talk to you about normal Christian living. Look at somebody and elbow them and say normal Christian living. Ooh, some of you didn't get that. I'm sorry, I I wasn't clear, obvious. Is my mic on? Okay. Turn to somebody, maybe on the other side, and say normal Christian living. That's a little bit better. Okay, here we go. Joshua chapter 1, I want you to look at verse number 2. Let's start there. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, keep that verse up there, and let's just stay here just a moment. This is a transition season for the people of Israel. God sent Moses, and he led them out of the bondage of Egypt into the wilderness to take them into the promised land, but they refused to go. They said, no, we can't do it. We will not do it. We're going to stay right here, or we're going to go back to Egypt. And an entire generation died in the wilderness. It wasn't God's will. It wasn't his plan. But an entire generation died in the wilderness. They went around in circles for 40 years until everybody was dead. Now God says, I'm going to raise up a faithful generation. We're going to go in, walk by faith, and we're going to possess the promised land. So Joshua is now the leader, and God says, Moses is dead, now it's time to get up, take the new generation, and go into the promised land. Look at verse number 3. Notice what he says. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now again, leave the verse up there for just a moment. I want you to see two things in this verse. God says, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon that's future tense is it not every place the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you that's past tense isn't it just as I said to Moses what God is doing he's taking them back to realize I gave this to you 40 years ago but your parents and grandparents would not accept it by faith and go into the land here's why because in order for us to obtain and possess the promises of God, we have to learn to let faith become action and we step in and possess the land that God has promised. See, there are a lot of riverbank Christians. They send the bank to the Jordan. Okay, God, if you really want me to go in and take the land, then you've got to open up the waters. You've got to kill the giants. You've got to wipe it all out. If you'll take care of all that and give me a Hilton by the riverside, I will show up. God says, no, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon I've given to you already. So what he's saying is, I've given to you, let me put it in New Testament language, I've given to you all kinds of exceeding great and precious promises. Now start walking and go in and possess those promises. This is what healthy, normal Christian living is about. Accepting the promise of God, embracing it, and then stepping out by faith and going in and possessing what God says you can have. This is a picture of it. Okay, now, let's look at at these two verses for a moment. Let's talk about this. There's always going to be a demand for faith as you walk with God. There will always, everybody say always. See, a lot of people look at Christianity. Well, it's this thing of believing in Jesus. And once you believe in Jesus and and he comes into your life and you can just go ahead and live your life. No, 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 no. The just live by faith. We don't just get in by faith. We live. We have to learn to live by faith. So there will always be a demand for faith. Faith is believing what God says and believing that above everything else going on around me. There's going to be a demand for faith in normal Christian living. Now, go into verse 6. Skip down to verse 6. What does it say in verse 6? Be strong and of good courage. Now, I want, you to, I want you to read those first few words down to that first comma. I want you to read this with me right out loud, okay? Here we go. Be strong and of good courage. Hey, I know it's early service, okay? But it's not that early. Let's read this together Be strong and of good courage. Notice those words Be strong and of good courage. God is trying to tell Joshua something that we need to understand today. As a part of normal Christian living, we're gonna have to have faith to step in and possess what God has promised, but number two, we're also going to have to have courage. You what courage is? It's mental strength, it's emotional strength, and it's spiritual strength. That's what courage is. He says, be strong and of good courage. And what does he say next? For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Here it is again. Be strong right now. Be strong and of good courage, and you will do these things. Now, Skip down to verse 7. Read with me. Only be strong and very courageous. See, now he, in the next verse, the next breath, he says, only be strong and very courageous. You can't have just a little bit of courage. you got to be very courageous. You know, one of the things that's missing in the church world today is courage. Mental strength, emotional strength, and spiritual strength. And if we lack those things, we become prey to discouragement. And I'll get to that in a few minutes. It's interesting. Read the rest of the verse. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may prosper wherever you go. So two verses in a row, he says you're going to have to have courage. Now, Let's go to verse number 9. Skip verse 8, and I want to go to verse 9 because I want you to see this principle. Have not I commanded you... Now, stop here a minute. It's almost like God says, didn't I already tell you this? As a matter of fact, he's already said it twice. If you think... How many of you think if God says something twice, it's probably important? Have you had your boss tell you something twice... Hello. Why did he tell you twice? Because it was important. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me make it more clear. Have you ever had your spouse tell you something twice? Now now it's hitting home, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. Why? Because it's important. Notice this: Have not I commanded you Have not I commanded you what? Be strong and of good courage. Say that with me. Be strong and of good courage. Three times. Three times in about four or five verses, God says, you're going to have to have courage. You're going to have to have courage. You've got to be strong, and the only way you're going to be strong is to have courage. And then he says next, do not be afraid. We all know what fear is. <clears throat> we all know what fear is. But then he says, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many of you have used the word dismayed in a sentence in the last week? Two weeks? Okay, got one guy back here. Good. Got one or two King James people in the house. That's good. Don't be dismayed. You know, we don't use that word much in English anymore. Do not be dismayed. But here's the interesting thing. In the original writings, the word dismayed means to break down by violence, by confusion, or by fear. He says, don't be afraid and don't get broken down when the enemy comes against you with violence, when the enemy throws confusion against you, or when he starts lying trying to put fear in your heart. Do not be broken down. Now, what's he doing here? He's painting a picture. Here's courage, here's strength, here's what it means to be broken down. If we're going to navigate the challenges of life, especially if we're going to stay on track becoming and doing everything God wants us to become and do, we've got to learn to live with courage. Therefore, the enemy is going to do his best to discourage you, to take away your courage. In, in the in the dictionary, the word discouraged means to dispirit. To dispirit. Have you ever seen somebody get all hyped up? Oh man, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do this. And man, they get this spirit about them. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna possess my promised land, and I'm gonna accomplish this, and I'm gonna climb this tower, and I'm gonna pull down that stronghold, and I'm gonna build this, and I'm gonna do that, and then they run into challenges, and a little while later it's like, Well, I don't know if I'm gonna make it or not. You know what's happened? They've been dispirited. It happens in life. They've been dismayed. They've been broken down, and they reach the place where they're ready to give up. What is that? That's discouragement. My courage is gone. My strength is gone. I don't think I can do this. The truth is, everybody who's listening to this, everybody on the face of this planet, we're all susceptible from time to time to discouragement. It's a trial. It's a challenge of our faith. So the question is, how do I overcome the trial, the pressure, the challenge of discouragement? I'm glad you asked because we're going we're to show you some things today. I want you to turn to 1 Kings 19. Now, I'm going to go really fast the next few minutes. I've got this set up. I'm going to move really fast. And, and I'm going to set, set up what we're going to read by telling you the story behind it. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah, famous prophet. Elijah kind of shows up out of nowhere one day and he looks at this ungodly king and he says to Ahab, this ungodly king, he says, hey, God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain anymore in this land until I say so. And he takes off and goes and hides because now the king wants to kill him because for the next month it doesn't rain. It becomes two months, three months. For three and a half years, there's no rain in the land. Sounds kind of like Southern California, doesn't it? And this guy's in hiding. God's hiding him. And I'm not going to go through all that part of the story. But for three and a half years, there's no rain. And Ahab is just angry and seething. Everything's drying up. There's a drought. The brooks are drying up. The waters, the crops are dying because there's no water. And Ahab's like, it's all because of Elijah. And Elijah's like, no, it's all because of your sin. You brought all these idols into the land, these false gods, and God's punishing you until this stops. So this contest breaks out for three and a half years. Then all of a sudden, after three and a half years, Elijah shows up and he goes up to Ahab and says, okay, Ahab, Here's the deal. You get all of the prophets of Baal, all of your false prophets and false gods. You bring them to Mount Carmel against me. We're going to have a contest to prove who the real God is. So they bring all the people of Israel and all these these prophets of Baal. There's thousands of people gathered to Mount Carmel. And up on top of this mountain, here's what Elijah says. Now, I I want you guys to choose a sacrifice. Choose a bullock. A bull, a young bull, and I want you guys to make your sacrifice, build your altar, and call out to your God and ask him to answer by fire. And if your God answers by fire, we'll serve him. But if not, then I'm going to try the same thing. And if my God answers by fire, we'll serve him. And you all say, fine, let's do it. So the, the prophets of Baal build their altar, they do their thing the way their religion requires to get it all ready, and they start crying out to their God in, in the morning time, and there's no answer. By noontime, they're getting a little frustrated, and they're beginning to jump around and dance around and yell and scream and do all kinds of things trying to get the attention of their God. No answer. So by noon, Elijah's beginning to laugh, and he's beginning to mock and said, where's your God? Literally, what he said was, maybe he's on vacation. Where's your God? And literally, he said, well, maybe he went to the bathroom, and he can't hear you in there. Where's your God? Boy, they're getting more agitated. Finally, in the afternoon, late in the afternoon, they've gone all day and then they're cutting themselves, doing all kinds of goofy things. Finally, Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. And Here's what Elijah does. One day, he, after mocking the prophets of Baal all day long with this pressure on him, he builds an altar out of 12 stones and then finishes constructing the altar with wood. Then he takes a bullock, now, remember, he just built this altar with 12 big stones, all this wood. He builds it. Then he takes this young bull, and he himself kills it and cuts the whole thing up in pieces. Did you see in this picture? And then he lays it all out upon the altar. Then he digs a trench. Now, I, I don't know what kind of shovels they had in those days, but you get on top of a mountain, and it's usually pretty rocky. He someway, somehow, he digs a trench all the way around this large altar that he's built. And he has them come and dump water on top of the, the sacrifice, 12 barrels of water until the, it's soaked and the trench is all the way full of water. He does all of this. And then he prays and asks God to send fire from heaven. And miraculously, God sends fire from heaven. It comes down. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the wood of the altar. It goes around and licks up all the water in the trench and dries the whole place up. And when that happens, everybody in Israel falls on their face and says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What an amazing thing. Look what this prophet Elijah has done in one day. But the day's not over yet. Because then... He takes 850 prophets of Baal down to the brook and kills 850 of them. Now, how many of you know that that's a lot of killing to do in one day with no automatic weapons? That's a lot. He himself kills 108 or 850 of these prophets. Then he turns to King Ahab and says, You know what? You need to eat and drink and get on the road because I hear the sound of rain coming. This is in the middle of a drought. Then he goes up on top of the mountain, takes his servant and starts praying for rain. And seven times he prays. And finally, on the seventh time, they begin to see the sign of a cloud coming. And he said, it's time to move. The rain is coming. Then, this is all in the same day, then he takes off running and he outruns the king's chariot all the way to Jezreel, which is several miles away. This is all in one day. And the next morning... He gets a word from Jezebel, Ahab's wife. She is a, obviously she's mean. That's where the word Jezebel comes from. Everybody knows about Jezebel. Jezebel sends a message and says, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you'll be a dead man. So what is Elijah going to do? I mean, he's just called down fire from heaven. The whole nation is calling out to God. You talk about a victory. This is amazing. He's killed 850 of these prophets of Baal in one day. But he gets this word, and here's what happens. Look, if you would, 1 Kings 19, verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as, the one of, as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when Elijah saw that, he arose and called down more fire from heaven. No, he ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my fathers. Unexpected bad news can bring discouragement. Think about this. He just called down fire from heaven he just started a great revival and one word of bad news from the wrong person and he's ready to die look at this picture he drops off his servant he goes a day's journey in the wilderness running trying to hide from this angry evil woman runs away hides in the desert prays to die i kind of think elijah was a little bit discouraged don't you but have you ever had days where you just sat down and said, God, I want to die? God, I've tried and tried, and i know better than anybody else. I can't make this thing work. I give up. My strength is gone. I am dismayed. I am broken down. I cannot go forward. Most of us have had some days when we felt just that way. I want to give you probably four main thoughts today to take with you. Number one. Do not make important decisions when you're exhausted. The pace of life for most people today is too fast. Most people go to bed at night making a list of all the things they didn't get done today and they got to figure out, well, how do I do it tomorrow on top of everything else I've got to do? Some of us are carrying way too much stuff. Some of us have got high ceiling and we can do it. Some of us have got a lower ceiling. You've got to figure out what you can reasonably carry in this life and what God wants you to carry and you've got to learn to set aside the things that you don't need to be carrying because if you don't, you will get exhausted. It's amazing how many people I talk to who've got problems and situations, and oftentimes those problems stem from a time when they were tired, they were weary, they were exhausted, and they made a bad decision and they ran the wrong direction because they were weary and their emotions overran them. When you're exhausted, rest. How many of you get vacation time? Take it. I was telling our our staff the other day, we had two or three people, they had a bunch of vacation time stacked up. You know, I told them, take it. Why? Because it's there for you to get rest. Because I want you to be fresh, I want you to be strong, I want you to be healthy. You need to take your time of rest. Can I can I be a pastor for about 30 seconds? How many will let me be your pastor for 30 seconds? miss your hands. How many will let me for 30 seconds? Okay, about 30%. Okay, that's what I was afraid of. I'll do it anyway. You know what the Sabbath day is for? Rest. Did you know you need to have one day of rest when you don't do the things you do the other six days? You need to do things that recharge your batteries. Everybody, smiling at me pastor said like i can have a day to recharge my batteries yes it starts in god's house and then it goes from there because god will give you spiritual rest and then you can find the other rest to, to charge your batteries you need it turn to somebody and say you need it you need the rest take your rest You see, discouragement oftentimes accompanies bad news. Another thing you find about discouragement, it often comes after a major victory and you've had this big emotional high. And while you're on this emotional high, you get bad news and it's like, boom, all the wind gets sucked out of your sails and you're down like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Because you haven't had time to get direction and think it through. So what do you tend to do? You tend to start running. Discouragement can turn your world upside down. Discouragement can make you give up on everything that you know God's called you to do. Now, now look, at, skip down to verse nine. God's going to ask Elijah a question here. I want you to notice this. So Elijah went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" How many of you know when God asks you a question, he's not looking for information from you? He already knows the answer. I mean, it's always funny to me when God asks a question. Here's what I've learned. When God asks a question, you're the one that needs to hear the answer, not him. What does he ask him? What are you doing here? I think there's two things to that. You can look at it one way and say, what are you doing here? How'd you get here? Why are you here? Why are you hiding in this cave? You see, if you go back and study it all, he not only went one day's journey, God fed him and ministered to him through angels, he went 40 more days' journey into the wilderness. He's 41 days away from where he last knew what God wanted him to do. He is on the run. And God says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's interesting. Look at verse 10. Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Oh, God, it's not fair. I mean, come on. He just called down fire from heaven. All the people of Israel fell on their faces and said, we will serve the Lord. But he gets one word of bad news, and all of a sudden, he's seeing everything wrong. Why? Because he's given in to discouragement. He's given in to discouragement. I mean, isn't it true when you get discouraged, your problem becomes 10 times bigger than it really is? Isn't it true when you get discouraged, you can have a really big pity party? I share this all the time. I come from a family on my mom's side. They love to have pity parties. Oh, when they have a problem, nobody on the face of the earth has ever been through a problem as bad as they were. They're going through nobody's ever had to suffer like me. Yes, they have. Everybody goes through situations. Just suck it up and trust God. He's going to walk you out of this thing. I didn't want to hear that today. Elijah didn't want to hear it either, but I'm going to show you something interesting here. Stay with me. Elijah gives God this sob story, but it never answers the question. The second thing you need to know about discouragement, when discouragement hits, do not run. Turn to somebody and say, don't run. Don't run. You know why? Because it wastes time and it gets you out of, out of God's place for you. Get gets you off track. Don't run. Don't run. How many times have you ever tried to run away from your problems? You know what I've found? You can go a 1,000 miles and when you wake up the next morning, the problem's still there. You slept with it all night. And what's worse is when you say, oh, God, what do I do? What does God say? What are you doing here? See, the other part of what are you doing here is now that you're here, what are you going to do? So God's asking. Here, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 11. Then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah is about to learn and teach us a valuable lesson here. God was not in the wind. What's wind? It's influence. We get blown about by winds. When discouragement hits, don't go to people who are unstable and ask for their opinions. Don't let people who don't understand your walk with God. Don't let them speak into where you are. They will blow you off track. God wasn't in the wind. The second thing, God wasn't in the earthquake. Don't look around at your problem and say, well, I've got this challenge and I'm under all this pressure. Obviously, God wants me to fail to learn a lesson. God has not called you to fail. Somebody in the house needs to hear this today. Somebody's jammed your head full of stuff that says, well, if you're going to be a Christian, God's going to make you a failure your whole life so someday you can go to heaven. That's not even in the Bible. Can I tell you that? Jesus said, in this world you'll have pressure, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God's called you to win, not to lose. You just got to stay on track with God. (laughs) Can I be a pastor for 30 more seconds? Some of us, when we get under pressure and you start fighting with discouragement, when when that battle of discouragement starts and begins... Don't rewrite your theology to meet your circumstances. Take the word of God and live by the word of God and demand that your circumstances start lining up with the word of God instead of the other way around. Well, I guess God wanted all this bad stuff to happen so I could just be a loser for his glory. There's no glory in losing. There's only glory in winning. That's true. Amen, I appreciate that. Then God wasn't in the fire. What's fire? That's emotions. Well, I just felt this so strongly, I had to run in this direction. Yeah, and what happened? You wound up 41 days from home, 41 days away from where God needs you to be, 41 days journey back to getting where you need to be. Don't let your emotions drive you in the wrong direction. Then there's a still small voice, just a calm, gentle voice. Look at verse number 13. So it was, when Elijah heard that still small voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. See, I think one of the things that needs to happen when I get discouraged, I need to stop and say, what am I doing here? Say it with me. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Why am I here? And what am I doing about what's going on? Because here's what you learn. God's trying to teach Elijah, and he's trying to teach us, when discouragement hits... You need to make sure you've got rest. You need to make sure you're not running. And then the next thing you need to do is you need to start listening to hear what God says about the situation. Not the wind, not the earthquake, not the fire. You need to hear the still small voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have been forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone left. They seek to take my life. It's the same old answer. Then the Lord said to him, look at the next verse, verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, all we're going to read is one more word, go. And God gave him new instructions. Now, I'm getting close to the end of this. I've got to move really fast, so stay with me. third thing is when i fall into this place of discouragement i need to get still and listen for god's still small voice and figure out what he has next see i believe when elijah first got the news from jezebel he could have sat down and said okay god what do i do now and i believe it would have saved 41 days of his life and a whole lot of wear and tear on his body his mind and his spirit said he ran. He ran. God, what are your instructions for me right now? There are some people in the room right now. And discouragement, listen closely to me. Discouragement has caused you to look behind and say, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. And you can't even turn and look ahead. God is not focusing on what's behind you. God wants you to focus on what's in front of you. Discouragement makes me dig a hole and crawl in it and want to die. Friend, today's message has come. I, and please hear me. I've not come to die in the hole with you. I've come to pull you out of the hole and get you turned around so you can start looking forward and realize there's something ahead. What is God saying about my situation? What do I do now? See, the reason God's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah, is because he wants Elijah to know, I got something else for you to do. Elijah, forget about Jezebel. I can deal. If God can, can put you in a position where he can send down fire from heaven and help you kill 850 prophets of Baal, don't you think he can handle one evil woman? Some of you don't even believe that. He can Don't worry about that. You go do this and go do this and go do this. Here are the things I need you to do right now. See, the reason we get discouraged is we get on that mountaintop, we call down fire from heaven, and we just want to have revival and stay there the rest of our lives. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, I got more for you to do. The enemy's going to fight you, but keep moving forward. Here's what I want you to do next. As long as we're focused on God's will for our lives moving forward, we move and walk right out of the place of discouragement. We walk into strength. There's a story in Luke chapter 7, and I won't read it because we don't have time. John the Baptist had a unique ministry. John the Baptist was, was the forerunner to Christ. He's the one who was called. It spoke of him in the Old Testament. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his, listen closely, that was his calling. Prepare the way for Jesus his ministry prepare the way for jesus john's preaching away did you know john the baptist didn't go to town and set up a tent and have revival he didn't do that he was out in the desert out in the wilderness preaching and the people left the cities and the multitudes came all the way out in the wilderness to the river where he was to be to hear him and to be baptized it's an amazing ministry one day, John's preaching away saying, I'm just the forerunner. The Christ is coming. He's coming. Well, John's been preaching this for weeks and months. All of a sudden, one day, he looks and coming down the riverbank is Jesus. And John stops and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy I've been telling you about. And as soon as he did that, everything changed. That was his ministry. You know what his reputation was? Jesus said there was never a greater man who ever lived than John the Baptist. People start leaving. Crowds are leaving. I mean, who wants to hear a guy talk about repentance when here's a guy over here doing miracles? Which one do you want to see? You want to hear one more repentance message or do you want to go see somebody, uh, somebody open up blind eyes? Well, I want to see the miracle. So the crowds start following Jesus, even his disciples go. And somebody asked him one day, John, where are all the crowds that used to follow you? They're following Jesus now. You know what John says? It's no big deal. A man has nothing except what God gives him. It's okay. But John has the audacity, and man, I I, I love this. John has the audacity to call out King Herod and said, King Herod, you've taken your brother's wife. That's sin. That's wrong in the sight of God. You shouldn't be doing that. A long turn of events happening. He winds up in prison. He's about to be killed. He's going to have his head chopped off. He's in prison one day. Ministry's gone. Nobody wants to hear him anymore. He's locked up. He turns to a couple of followers, loyal guys, and says, hey, go find Jesus and ask him, is he really the one or should I be looking for somebody else? Because things just aren't going right. It's not going the way I thought. It's not going the way I expected Go ask him, let's just make sure that he is really the one. So they go and they say to Jesus, John's locked up in prison. Herod's threatening to kill him. And John wants to know, are you really the one or do we look for somebody else? Jesus doesn't even respond to him at first. He just goes about healing the sick, working miracles, preaching the message of the kingdom of God. He gets finished. He says, okay. Okay. You go back and tell John, people are still being healed, people are being delivered, lepers are being cleansed, blind eyes are being opened, miracles are happening, and the poorest of the poor are having good news preached into their lives. Then Jesus makes one more statement. He says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You know how many times I've been offended at God? God because things didn't go the way I thought they ought to go. You know how many times your pastor has sat down and said, God, I don't understand. Man, we worked so hard to get to this place, and it looks like this, and all of a sudden, and we just keep running and running, and God, I don't get it. God says, what are you doing here, Gary, are you offended because things aren't going your way? I know I'm short on time. I'm, I'm trying to finish quickly, but I, I, I got I to drive this home. The last thing, number four, when you get discouraged, you have to stop and remind yourself, it's not about me. It's about what God's trying to do through my life. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. All those plans and dreams he's given me, they're going to come about. But I can't get discouraged. I can't give up. I've got to keep moving forward. So what do I do now? Somebody in the house right now, I know who you are and you know who you are. This is going to explode inside of you. Right now you're saying, God, I'm here, but how do I get to there? God says, you just keep walking with me. I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm going to show you. Face forward and keep walking into God's will. Because sometimes even churches... We run along with God and we're going along, and all of a sudden, God decides he wants to move in this direction right here, and we just keep going this way. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And all of a sudden, one day, God, what's happening? What's going on? God says, nothing. I'm just doing my stuff. Well, yeah, but God, I'm way over here. Yeah, well, maybe you need to get back over here where I am. We're prone to do that. I've told the story, at least parts of it. You know, 18 years ago, I had to start my life over. And in my darkest moment, I went to church one night. And there was a guy speaking. I'd never seen him before, never heard him. He didn't know me. Nobody in the house really knew me except for a couple of people. I'm sitting down in the second row. And when this guy gets finished, he said, I'm going to minister to some people tonight. And he points at me and he said, I want you to stand up. This guy spent 12 minutes reading my mail. After he went through all kinds of things that got me to turn and look forward, the last thing he said to me was, take everything you've got and lay it at God's feet and let him work. And when God's finished, whatever's there is there, what's not there is not there. That's God's call. Just keep walking with see, sometimes my plans get me off track because God's got a better plan. Did you hear that? I didn't say God's got a different plan. I said God's got a better plan. And sometimes my plans aren't big enough. It's not what God has. As you're sitting here today, maybe maybe you're sitting here right now thinking, man, you're talking to me today. You don't know what's going on in my life. What are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing? I want to pray for you today. Bow your heads. Father, across this room, there are people right now and it's echoing in their minds. What are you doing here? Father, we're not going to run. We're not going to listen to other voices. We're not going to give up and quit. We're not going to get down and out and walk away. We realize today it's not about me. It's about your plan for my life, your will for my life. Father, I pray right now that you would encourage us the enemy's tried to dispirit us. I pray you'd just breathe new life into us, new strength that we would rise up and say, let me turn in God's direction. And let me hear God's voice and move forward. Father, we need to hear from you today. God, there are people in this room, they're going to go home this afternoon and say, God, what do I do? And you're going to tell them exactly what to do next because that's the kind of God you are. You're not hiding it from us. You want to reveal it to us. You want to show it to us. We're going to ask in faith. You're going to reveal it. And we're going to step out by faith. And our shoes, the soles of our feet, are going to step on everything you've promised to us. And we're going to go in and possess it in Jesus' name. God, encourage your people today. Everybody look right here. One of the great scriptures in the Old Testament, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. That word wait is not talking about the clock. That word wait literally means wrap yourself around something. They that wrap themselves around the Lord will renew their strength. You need to do that. Some of you need to go home today and wrap yourselves around God and say, God, what do I do? He's going to show you exactly what you need to do in this season. Before we finish, there's probably somebody here today, you're not in relationship with God and your heart's crying out saying, man, things are not going right. I need a God to help me. God's here to help you today. And he wants you to know he loves you so much. He put his own son on a cross to pay for your sins so all that's behind you could be wiped away and you could have a brand new life and a brand new future. And Right now, he's probably knocking on the door of your heart. and Inside of you, you're realizing this is real, this is right what do I do? You say, God, come in. I need you. You open your life to God. Start walking with him. Begins with a prayer. God's grace is knocking on the door of your heart. Your faith needs to say, God, come in. I need you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. I'm going to ask everybody to pray it. That's how we respond to God. We talk to him. We're going to welcome God into our lives and let God begin to lead us from here forward. So everybody in the house, now your heads, close your eyes. I want everyone to pray this with me. Say, God, I need you. And I open my life to you. Please come in. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. I believe Jesus died for me. And I accept Jesus as my Savior. I'll allow him to become the Lord of my life. And I will follow you. So teach me your ways one day at a time i will follow you In jesus name i pray